Do dead men still snore? Listen in to Tammy Tyree's true story of survival, epic love, loss, fate, and coincidence on this latest episode of the Executor Help Podcast. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Edy. With me today is Tammy Tyree. She's the author of Dead Men Still Snore, a woman's true story of love, loss, and channeling her husband's messages from the other side. Tammy, just before we started, I want to thank you again for taking the time to be here. I really appreciate it. It's, thank you for the invite, David. I appreciate it. So let, let's talk about, there's a part in your book, and I, I enjoyed your book. And what I enjoyed about it was something, a, a quote that jumped out at me. And in the first part where it said, those who have traveled the path of losing a loved one in an accident or some other senseless occurrence know very well this universal truth. There are many jagged rocks along the milestones of healing, some which we can easily toss aside, while others are boulders impossible to budge. I think that's a beautiful piece of writing. Um, why do you think it's so hard for when people are grieving for them to understand what, what they're going through or how hard there, it is? There's quite a, a few different aspects to look at this. Um, and I'm a clinical hypnotherapist by trade. So I've worked with people in their grief as well as going through what I've gone through, which has only helped me become a better therapist. But um, people, I, I've known people and worked with people who have lost a loved one and they're still grieving 10 years later. Um, they, they just, there's this un, inability to recover from something that is what we're all going to go through at some point in our life. We're either going to lose someone that we love or we are, we are going to die. So there's, um, there's a couple of paths that we can take. And part of my journey was understanding and, and being told um, really which path is, is the, the best one for us when somebody, when somebody dies, which I think we're going to kind of touch on today a little bit. Yeah. So why did you say in your book that your book, you wrote, it was about coincidence? The coincidence piece, um, and you'll appreciate this from an executor help point of view, there was actually, when I look back at even journals uh, and the this, this story itself, there's probably like three or four years ago in my journals, I'm I'm writing things uh, about how I can, I can sense that I wasn't going to be living in Belize with Michael for very long. We were in Belize half time transitioning to full time. And I just felt this, I'd forgotten that I'd written these things. And there were several different um, references to feeling like I'd be back in Canada. Um, and I never really gave it a thought, but the coincidence didn't stop there. It was um, one of the, the couples that happened upon the accident that we had um, were actually uh, friends of my daughter and they were on that road by accident. Um, they, they, the accident happened in Mexico. They were heading in a different direction. They ended up being on this road that we were on and, and they knew us. So they were able to help, which was unreal. Mm. Um, another one of the things though, that, um, really drove home the point about estates, especially for a lot of friends and family 
was that in the October before the accident happened into February, I had put together an entire estate binder for my daughter, who's my executor. And I put it on Google Drive. I put it on a USB. I put it on a hard, hard binder. All of the information that she would need if anything was to happen to us. We owned and managed a property in, in Belize. So there was, you know, contact information and things that would have to be dealt with there. There's all our banking information here that would have to be dealt with. Like every little aspect of our estate, I felt compelled to have it all out for her. And thank God I did because she needed that right from day one yeah. uh, when accident occurred she needed to consult with that binder and and take action wow that's a lot of coincidences and you 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 point out or you talk a little bit about you know that the accident and, and that's the accident that happened while you're in belize it was a uh, february 29 uh, february 2019 is is so to walk me through a little bit and little listeners Talk, tell me what happened and how this sure. became a turning point so in your life. My, my um, husband and I own property in Belize and we vacationed in Cancun. So we had a timeshare in Cancun. So we were actually for, for this particular trip, which was an anniversary trip. Every anniversary, we would go to the timeshare. Um, we drove instead because we were already in Belize. So it's like, let's try driving rather than taking a flight and see what that's like um, from that trip I was then going to go back to Canada fly back to Canada and he was going to drive back to our home in Belize he wasn't going to come to Canada right away um, and he wanted to like kind of explore some of the places that we could shop for materials and building materials and things like that across the border so we'd um, we'd we drove uh, which really isn't that far from where we were to the border and about an hour and a half past the border into Mexico the accident occurred. Um, I have no memory of the accident. I've been very well protected from knowing what really happened during the accident. Um, I did do some hypnosis around that, um, both because later I did have some PST around seeing ambulances and that kind of thing, PTSD. Mm -hmm. So I've done some work around that. So I do have a better understanding of what happened during the accident, but I, I felt very shielded from it. I had no memory of it, but essentially other than a whiplash and concussion, I walked away from it. And my husband was not so lucky. Uh, so, in Belize, that's where you were, you were, you were planning to retire down there. And, and that's where you were getting the building materials and all those things that you were, yes. you were gathering. So that, so that was a sort of a financial plan that you guys, a goal that you had, two of you had set out that you were going to set up in, in Belize. And yes. then you lost him in February of 2019. So my, my next question would be before his death, because you talk a lot about spirituality in the book, were you always spiritual and were you having any conflicts? Um, I, I do feel like since the young age of probably seven or eight, I, I realized that um, spirituality for me was, was a true truth to me. I grew up in a very staunch Christian home. Um, it was a lot of um, Helen Brimstone. <laughs> and that pressure on me as a young child just never, ever felt right. It never felt like it was correct and never felt like a truth to me. So I knew from a young age that there was something else 
out there for me. But it wasn't until my early 20s that I really explored that, you know, I'd moved away from home, I was on my own. And it was time for me to sort of unwrap that belief that I had. And I actually um, discovered more through my my love of hypnotherapy, um, a lot more about myself, a lot more about the spiritual realms, a lot more about past lives, and all of that rang true for me internally. Just knowing this, knowing in in my gut that 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 we are so much bigger than what we are led to believe um, through religion. Um, and that's that's what I was always told was that there's always us and there's a him. And um, it, unless you are a, you know, a priest or or someone who's higher up in the clergy, you can have no communication with God. And um, it just never struck me. I, I really always felt like we are all God's creatures. Everyone on this earth, from the grass and the trees to the animals to us, like we we all have this ability to be communicative, and um, it really was a more of a spiritual feeling for me than it was that I had to toe the line and and believe in a certain thing that you know my family wanted me to believe. So, so today I and actually since this accident, the accident was kind of this pivotal point uh, where that belief. Um, blew into to full-born existence and a new ability. And that was in channeling, um, being able to channel my husband uh, right from the hospital yeah. when I woke up. So it started from there. So at some point you, you started to get messages from Michael and you, you say you started to feel his presence. It's funny you should say that because um, the love of my life, not that I'm skeptical, but she has a lot of the same feelings um you know her her father she's you know some, sometimes she can smell his cigarettes or she can feel somebody in the the you know in the bed um when when you started to have um this happen to you were you accepting at first or um and and how did he come to you at the very start um i was you know coming out of a concussion uh, in the hospital in Bacalar, Mexico, not knowing where I was, what had happened, nothing. I couldn't open my eyes. Um, I had a, a bad concussion, but I was listening to people around me speaking Spanish. And, and I, I know about 5% Spanish, but I was able to understand 100%. And I was able to communicate when I was able to speak 100% for a short time, for a couple of days. So that was really amazing. They told me that Michael had passed. They were saying, I'm sorry. And I knew, I already knew in my heart that he was gone. I um, had one very, very quick glance of him when the accident happened. And I just knew that he, it was not right. And that's basically how my story starts is by seeing the not right and knowing that he was gone. Um, they confirmed that for me. But then after a day, uh, you know, I'm I'm sleeping off this concussion, which took me quite a while to to really come back from. And I could hear him snoring and his snore is epic. Like I actually have a recording of it that I had done while we were living in Belize because he would never believe me how horrible his snore was. It was like a locomotive and a percolator all at once. And wow. it was just unreal. And I recorded him one night to show him, I was like, you've got to get some help, like sinuses or something. That's, that's sleep apnea right there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, totally. 
So I still had that recording and, um, but I heard the snoring and it was just, it woke me up uh, and it wasn't that imagined thing or a dream state. It was right beside me. And I looked around the room. There was two other people in the room. Um, one lady who was in the early stages of labor and someone else who I'm not sure what was wrong, but they were, it was just soundless, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, listen further, deeper down in the hallway. Is there somebody in the hall that's snoring or something and nothing. So I just let it go. I fell back asleep. I thought, no, it's my imagination. And I heard it again. This time I didn't open my eyes. I didn't, I didn't, um, you know, realize or, or come to consciousness kind of thing to, to look around to see if he was still there. And I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking they did tell me he's passed. I know he's passed. Um, and and, when, and when this was happening, did you, did you find comfort or were you scared? A little bit of both, actually. I, I found comfort. It was like, but I was confused. And then I was a little bit scared. It was like, what is happening right now? But then everything just went silent, completely silent. And, and he started talking to me and he started bringing me messages and, and telling me about what it was like on the other side for him and where he was and, and the experience that he was having. And I could feel that right through my entire body. I could feel what he was feeling and it was just beautiful. So it just started to flow after that um, to a point basically where I had to tell him to stop. I had, he was giving me messages for people and friends and family. And it was like, I, my hands weren't even working. <laughs> like I just, I couldn't write anything down. I had no ability to do that. So I asked him to stop and asked him if we could take this up later. What would you say to people that are skeptics who don't believe uh, the dead don't leave us right away or ever? Um, that they don't leave us right away? I I have to really kind of agree. Or if they're skeptical, they don't believe that? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're about you feeling his presence. Um, you talk about his presence a, a lot in the book and, you know, even the snoring. Um, but then there's other going to be people that saying, oh, you know, that's that's just your your mind playing tricks on you and and that the dead really doesn't the dead really when they're gone they're gone and there's going to be no more communication well a couple of things um one is that if they were could do their research they would find that there's a lot of people like me with a similar type of story um but another thing is is until they experience it on their own, they're bound to have some skepticism. And it's kind of looking within and what is it that they believe truly? And, and maybe they don't hold any belief. But if it was to happen to them, if they lost someone who's very close to them, if they would just take the time to be present and just allow anything to happen, they might actually be surprised at what they think what thoughts come through their mind that aren't theirs, that perhaps come from someone else. Maybe there's objects in the home that suddenly fall off the shelves. Well, that could be that someone trying to communicate with you. Um, there's just like, there's numerous things that could happen uh, if they were open to allowing that to happen, they might be really surprised. So besides Michael snoring and him passing on messages to you, what else did he do and how long did it go on for? Or does it still go on? Uh, it went on with Michael specifically for about eight months. 
Uh, and during that time, he was giving me a lot of direction and, and helping me actually to write this book, uh, to write Dead Men Still Snore. And so it was the collaboration with me and, and him and um, even my own spirit guides and, and angels and, and that that I that I believe with and communicate with. So it was kind of this trifecta of, um, of building this this book. So it was very, very special. Um, after that, he did tell me that he he was going to leave me. Uh, in the sense that he wouldn't be communicating with me anymore on a day-to-day -day basis or week-to-week -week or whatever it was. Um, during the time, that eight months, when he wanted to sit down and, and do some writing with me and help me through this, I would either feel him on the bed, sitting down on the bed, wake me up. It's usually around 3.34 in the morning. Uh, or I would smell his cigarette smoke anytime during the day. And yeah, I would just, I would just be like, oh, okay, like we're okay, let's get together now. Because for that first year after the accident happened, I really took a break from everything. I had estate stuff to settle. I had, you know, I was grieving my family, my children, we were all grieving. So I was trying to be there for everyone and I was healing myself. Yeah. So during that time, we, um, we wrote the book together after that. He says he's going to. Can I ask a question? Because I mean, I've written, written books and. Mm -hmm. The, what was the, the, the writing process? Because for me, when I would, uh, you know, my current book, I know I, I was regimented six in the morning, I would get up and I would start writing. And then there was always be a flow because you have this special collaborator. What was the process? What was the writing process to do this? Was it his, was it his idea to do this? Or was it the two of you together or, or you, or you had to be talked into the process? One of the first messages that I ever received from him in the hospital that day, like that, that the night that I had heard him snoring, was that we're going to write a book, and this is what it'll be called, and this is what we're going to write about, and uh, it it was it was just set in stone. Um, just from that time on, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, okay, <laughs> sure. Have you ever written a book um, before? I've written before, but I've never written a book before. So this okay. is my first memoir. Now I'm writing as I am retired now from my practice and I'm writing fiction, which is quite fun. Um, and and this this really was, you know, kind of that life story uh, that that a lot of people hope to write but never get to. So um, the book itself and the writing of it, a lot of it's me, a lot of it's him helping me to decide what needs to go into the book so there's a lot about our love story there's a lot of you know how we met there's um a tie-in you know what? I, I jumped ahead and i wanted to because we we got into the uh you know the accident but why don't we back it up a little bit and tell me the love story how did the two of you meet and mm. we we had actually, actually there, was, there was some i'm not gonna say tawdry but there were some <laughs> some of your adjectives in there i was like Ooh, okay I, I said I, I had to go. Oh my! Oh my! Yeah. It's a it's a page turner. Okay, go ahead now. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> One of the coincidences that I talk about in the book is the fact that um, I kept every email that Michael and I had written to each other during a two and a half month um, court courtship. Basically, right. um, we found each other online. That's when the online dating scene was just starting lava life was a thing and 
Um, I was divorced from a previous husband. I was looking for a companion, someone to you know help me raise my children, to be with me, hopefully somebody that had a child himself, that kind of thing. And I had, I had attracted him. And the funny thing about that is I found him online. But when we really figured out who each other were, we already knew each other. We were acquainted through another friend, a third party for years and years and years. So it was, it was really kind of funny. It was like, oh, now we're trying it to get It truly is another coincidence. You have a lot of coincidences. Yes, it totally was. Um, my friend who had introduced us originally, um, she was always trying to kind of get us together, you know, knowing that he, he thought I was attractive and, and, you know, he had thoughts that he wanted to date me. He never had the courage to actually ask me out. So, so we had, because he was working away, he was working up north, we emailed back and forth. Texting was not a huge thing where that was MS messenger time, believe it or not. <laughs> so it was a while ago. Yeah. So um, we, uh, yeah, so we had email and I kept every one of those. I printed them out. I kept them. I'd kept them for all these years for 14 plus years in my journals. And that was the part that I was able to infuse in there about the love story. So a lot of our emails are in there. They're funny. They're goofy. They're silly. They're, they're a little bit hot <laughs> at some point. Yeah. 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 Some, yeah there was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll go with that. I was like, Whoa. Okay. Yeah. And um, through our life together um, up until the last four years, he worked away and then the children were grown and gone. So I was able to actually go to work with him. Um, and then we were together, like either in Canada or in Belize. So yeah, that's kind of how things started. And then when he did come home from work two and a half months later, we had our first actual date and then we were basically together ever since then. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You, you could see that it is with you now, even hearing that part, and I didn't even think of it. It is a series of coincidences how your the two of you are, are basically intertwined. At some point, everything aligned that you guys would be in each other's lives, and mm -hmm. you know, tragically, you know, you went through that 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 accident. So I would ask you when when somebody goes through some dark times like you did, what did you find helped you? And you know, and when people go through uh have gone through or would go through what you have gone through what would you say they need to do to help them get through the, the tough times and the dark times i actually purposefully kept my um connection with people outside of my circle to a, a, a minimum um, I did not want to hear people offering their condolences. That makes it harder when you do that. It makes it harder for the individual. And that's what, um, but why do you say that do you, you should never offer condolences to a person? So as a therapist, what I know is um, what we take on emotionally. And it's hard enough to have lost someone. We feel that in our emotional center. But then every time that someone is saying, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss, it's driving another nail into that center for you, making it more and more harder to actually come out of the grief and to heal from the grief. Um, people don't really think of that or don't really know that but if you were to test that out sometime you see someone who's lost someone you know on Facebook or whatever um, you get a lot of people saying I'm so sorry for your loss I'm so sorry for your loss but if you're the one person that says um, 
and celebrate the life that you had together and the person that he or she was, you will likely get a comment back from the person who's lost that person to say, thank you so much. Whereas everyone else will not. It's, it's, it's but I, I found, you know, from writing the book, doing this podcast, that when it comes to death, people are uncomfortable. And then yes. when someone passes away, they really don't know what to say. I even did a show on that. Exactly. And yeah. you're the first person to say, you know what, instead of saying, I'm so sorry for your loss, it's to say that what I celebrate, I celebrate your, your life together. What was exactly mm -hmm. would be the best right thing to say? Or not the best, but um, more comforting thing. Yeah, it's to really bring on the positive. So to I, I celebrate the life that you had together. I tell me the the best thing that you that you loved about this person. Um just something that is a more positive thought than oh i'm so sorry i'm so sorry sorry is a very negative word right. so if you can keep it in positive it actually will help that person and if we could all do that it would really help that person to come through the grief in a much brighter way a much better way a much healthier way yeah so, so what would someone read your book i enjoyed it who, who would you say that you wrote the book for who did you and michael write the book for <laughs> we really did write it for people who are in a grief situation. Um, he has a lot of messages in there that he wanted to be in there about what's really happening on the other side and, and for people not to grieve. Um, and yeah, one of the things too was like, even, even he commented, I believe at one point about, um, having a funeral, like people call it a celebration of life. That is a much better um tone to take rather than a funeral um but one of the biggest points that he wanted to make was that funerals are for the living they're definitely not for the dead those who have died are in the place that we are all born from and meant to go back to so they are home and for us to have a celebration that's for us. That's not for them. Doesn't do them any good. Doesn't help them in their situation. They're in a great place. They're in a beautiful place and they're going through what they need to go through next. But it's for us. So to be really wary about what it is that you're doing in that celebration, are you all wearing black? You know, are you calling it a funeral? Are you, uh, is there a lot of mourning going on? Or is there real celebration about what this person um, did the life that he led how he um, helped so many people and at the celebration of life for Michael um, all of the young men that he had mentored in his career uh, were there and they had the the that he was dad to them and they had so many beautiful wonderful things to say about the people that they are now and how their careers had blown up and expanded and it was all due to Michael and it was beautiful. It was such a positive thing. And of course we had albums there and, you know, lots of goofy stories and things like that. So it was a real celebration. And, and, and that's, it was a real celebration. It was cake. There was like everything. It was an absolutely, it was a celebration and it was beautiful. Of course there's tears. There's always going to be <laughs> tears, right? You're going through grief as well. Right. But if it was something different, if it was something that let's say that, you know, I had grown up with so serious um, funerals and um, the incense burning and the, you know, all the things, 
that, you know, that's the end of them. There is no life after, there is no existence after this death. It's such a disservice to the family, to the friends, to the, to the people closest to that individual who is living their best life after death. It's interesting you would say that in terms of, you know, it's a celebration, but I guess our, our society, um, the way things are, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're dressed in black, there's the grieving in the morning, um, you know, I had to go through it twice with my parents, but if you're taking the view that, you know, again, you, we're going to do the celebration, is it okay to, to laugh? Because people might be uncomfortable to laugh because there might be some funny stories that uh, the individual, um, you know, did funny things or said some funny things. And people might be uncomfortable knowing how, you know, a funerals are. Is it okay to laugh at these kind of celebrations? I actually had someone ask me that fairly recently um, who were going to a funeral. And and the thing that I told them was just re read the room. If you are attending a funeral that is very serious, that is very, um, you know, staunch and, and sort of, you know, all in black and all that kind of thing, there's probably not room for or even an invitation to tell great stories about the loved one. Um, that's, that's what I would offer maybe afterward, if they're sharing tea and, and biscuits and, you know, all the things that might be a time to share individually with people. Some of the, some of the things that you take joy in with that person that's, uh, that you've all lost. Um, if it's a celebration, like the one that we had for Michael, then the invitation was come up and tell us your best stories about him. Like, let's laugh let's let's um let's roast him now that he's not even here and what's interesting is um some people who had attended who were friends of michael who have the actual ability to see people on the other side uh, were there and they were pointing at where he was standing and he was having a good laugh along with us so so that's, yeah that's beautiful and does he still come to see you or Oh, now it's not so much that he comes to see me because we've kind of finished our our life together and our, um, you know, when you look at it and you kind of look at the broadest picture of it and all the coincidence and everything else that's part of it, um, this book was the point. This book was why we were brought together to, in the first place to get these messages out. But he does help me when I am with uh, a hypnotherapy client as so someone who is coming to me and, and I do get you know messages from their loved ones who have passed, which is something that I, I wasn't able to do before. So they might be uh, me for hypnotherapy, uh, but I'll, you know, I'll get someone who's come into the room and into my thoughts to say, please let I need to get this message to her or him or, or what have you. And once in a while, Michael will be that one, that person that says they need to know this or they should know that. So I ask them if they're open to receiving a message from a loved one. I, I describe who I'm seeing. Um, and if that resonates with them, then I share the message. And, and I don't know, 10 times out of 10, it's uh, accurate. So. so with everything, so, you know, we've, we've gone into your past and um my question to you is how are you doing today how's your life going is there a new man in your life not that i'm getting nosy but you know reading <laughs> that book 
I'm just, uh, you know, I'm asking for a friend, not yes. me, but I'm just <laughs> listening. How are you? How, how are you doing for everything that you're doing, especially what you've done with this book to help others? How are how are you moving on in your life? I'm doing really well, actually. There is a new man in my life, <laughs> and why that little so girlish I'm... giggle? What was that for? What was that about? Yeah, <laughs> we just have a lot of fun together. We have a lot of joy. Yeah in our life so I, I really appreciate that he's in it um and he's had to kind of put up with uh, a little bit of this right like they're doing I'm doing podcasts or I'm talking about the book or I'm doing signings or whatever and, he, and he's read this book and he's actually not um a big reader and he sat down and he finished this in two days and he's like that's the most amazing thing I ever read but it's also the hardest thing I've ever read so it was really meant a lot to me that that you know because when you read this book you're going to know exactly who I am and um what I'm about (laughs) so it was I I I would agree with that absolutely yeah Um, Yeah. before I let you go is there anything else you'd like to add that that you could help someone who's suffered a loss of uh, of a loved one well first of all if they want to reach out to me and ask a question or or anything like I'm very very open to answering an email so email me um so, but also so, just how, so like, how could people get in touch with you find you oh um through my website tammytyree.com there's a contact form there or just email me at tammy at tammytyree.com it's t-y-r-e-e um and um you know, if they feel compelled to to pick up the book, currently the ebook is on Kindle Unlimited. If you are a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, paperback everywhere, large print as well. Um, but I would I would ask them, like they, you know, they don't have to read my book, but if they are in grief and have been for some time, I know it will help them to do so. Uh, I'd love to say that they should take heart in that their loved one is in the best place possible and. I'm willing to bet that they are really wanting to let them know that and um, and to maybe find someone who's a medium that's a trusted medium that can actually do that communication for them. That's how, very, very How difficult. can someone know if, they, if that it's a trusted medium? Is there things they should look for, questions they should yeah. ask? Reviews, um, for one thing. Uh, referrals from someone who has who has been to a medium and completely trust what they say. And you know, you can trust them when they basically tell you to be quiet and to just let the people that want to bring a message to them come through. And from their explanation of that person, because that person will, you know, let them know and they'll see like what they look like and so on and give them some information that's personal. They'll know whether that's a trusted individual or not. Okay, well, Tammy Tyree, author of Dead Men Still Snore, a woman's true story of love, loss, and channeling her husband's messages from the other side. I want to thank you so much for taking the time today for being here on the Executor Health Podcast. Again, if people want to get in touch with you, they can go to Tammy Tyree. You you say it because I'm now I'm fumbling. Tammy Tyree. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, that seems simple enough. TammyTyree.com. Once again, thank you so much for, <laughs> for taking the time and being here today. I really appreciate it. It's a great book. Um, you know, if you're skeptical and not really sure, 
it's it's a great read in terms of helping maybe make you think differently than what you were always thinking about, but also be able to help somebody else that may be going through a tough time and you don't know where, how you can help them. So this is great. So once again, thank you very much for being here today. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.